Let me go ahead and pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray that our, our worship, Lord, has been pleasing to you thus far. We thank you for just the blessing that when we come to you with a sacrifice of praise, Lord, that inevitably what happens is you fill us up and you lift us up and you give us joy in our hearts for having offered our worship to you and to your son. Lord, we continue to worship you now through the preaching and teaching of your word. Lord, I I pray that you will help me through your Holy Spirit to convey your truths accurately, convictingly, Father. I pray for spirit-empowered listening and hearing, and that for all of us, Lord, your words will sink deep into our hearts and souls, and Lord, that they will bear much fruit. We pray all of this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. With this opening illustration, you will see that I'm a a product of, well, my era and and a a product of, well, I love the movies. I love the movies. In the movies, there's a common theme, and that is for the hero to have to do something extraordinary often putting themselves, their own selves in peril in order to accomplish something for the greater good. In the 1977 Star Wars, which is really the only Star Wars, (laughs) A New Hope, Luke Skywalker leads a fighter force to attack the Death Star at its only weak point, a two-meter wide thermal exhaust port leading straight from the surface directly into the reactor core. And the rebel forces launch their attack and they are quickly engaged by Imperial TIE fighters. And they have to make their way through a perimeter trench around the Death Star. Avoiding all kinds of obstacles and up and down and sideways. And and they're being fired upon. R2-D2 is even hit. And all seems hopeless until Luke is finally able to launch his X-Wing fighters proton torpedoes into the vent. Impacting the core and triggering a catastrophic explosion which destroys the Death Star station before it can uh, annihilate the rebel base. A more recent example. It's amazing how similar they are. (laughs) Top Gun Maverick. (laughs) Where a rogue state has built a uranium enrichment plant in a deep valley surrounded by mountains. The U.S. has to destroy it by flying F.A. 18 planes from an aircraft carrier into enemy airspace, coming in fast and low to evade defense radar, then swoop up over the mountain's edge, then swoop down again, drop their bombs onto a pinhole target, swoop up again at 9 G's of force, somehow evading surface-to-air missiles, and guess how it all ends? Both Luke and Maverick accomplish their missions and save their worlds. These are fun, silly examples. But the truth is, Jesus is the hero of the greatest story ever told. And he also had a a seemingly impossible task to come to this earth to live a perfect life. He would die, but then he had to resurrect from the dead. 
But if accomplished, it would have such a profound life altering chain reaction effect on the world and it would bring life to millions which leads us to a question i want to pose to you this morning why did jesus have to live because the truth is is he did he did have to live Friends, if Jesus didn't resurrect, then multiple things would not be possible. And frankly, many lives would be lost. In preparation for today, last week we talked about six reasons why Jesus had to die. They were, he had to die to atone for our sin. He had to die to be our sacrifice and our substitute. To redeem us to be our propitiation and to reconcile us back to God. And we discovered that the Bible teaches that in order for these things to happen, Jesus absolutely had to shed his blood and physically die. And he did. But what if the story just ended there? With his death. I mean, have you ever thought of that? What if Jesus died and just stayed dead? I mean, what would that mean for the Christian? Anything? (laughs) Everything. Because we might not be Christians if this were the case. If there is one doctrine that the whole of Christianity is dependent on, it is the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christianity stands or falls based on the literal bodily resurrection of Christ. If Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, then frankly, Christianity just, it collapses, it implodes If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here the Apostle Paul was dealing with some people in the church that were denying the future resurrection of believers. And this is what he says to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. He says to these to these folks that were denying the future resurrection, he says, now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep. That's a euphemism for death. In Christ have perished. 
If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. In other words, friends, some people were saying that there will be no resurrection of believers, Christians' bodies to eternal life, meaning no eternal life. To which Paul is saying, then not even Jesus has been raised, if that's true. And if Jesus has not been raised, then our preaching is meaningless. Our preaching here from the pulpit of Calvary Bible Church is worthless because the preaching and his raising from the dead is all about the forgiveness of sins. And of course, our future resurrection, which is to say eternal life. And if our preaching is worthless, then that preaching that you had faith in, whether it was from this pulpit or from some other place, it is also worthless. And you are still under God's condemnation for your sin. Furthermore, we who proclaim Christ's resurrection and believers' future resurrections, then if this is all true, then we're actually false witnesses of God. I I would be a false witness of God because, indeed, I would be lying to you. And if, indeed, he has not raised Christ, this would be true. Also, those that have already died... Those that have already gone into the ground, even as what we thought were believers, have actually perished. They have gone to hell. And if we have only trusted in Christ in this life, and this life is all there is, there's no hope of a resurrection. We're to be pitied. We are to be pitied. I shared the following quotes in our recent Passion Week devotional video series. The first is from a respected English pastor, W.J. Sparrow uh, Simpson, who had this to say, quote, if the resurrection is not historic fact, then the power of death remains unbroken and with it, the effect of sin and the significance of Christ's death remains uncertified. And accordingly, believers are yet in their sins precisely where they were before they heard Jesus's name. End quote. Another one, theologian William Lane Craig also comments, without the belief of the resurrection, the Christian faith could not have come into being. Jesus' crucifixion would have forever silenced any hopes of his being the Messiah. The cross would have remained his sad and shameful end of his career. The origin of Christianity therefore hinges on the belief that God raised Jesus from the dead. End quote. So this morning, friends, here's what I want to do. I want to show you something cool. I want to show you. I want to show you from God's word six reasons why Jesus had to live. Why he 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 absolutely the resurrection had to take place. And the first is is that Jesus had to live in order to fulfill the promises of God. He had to fulfill these promises of God that he had previously made. Now, you know, meteorologists they they try their best, don't they? I mean, today it's going to be sunny and warm and then it's cold and cloudy. Today it's going to be cold and cloudy and then it's sunny and warm, right? And and uh Lately, I mean, you know, if they tell us something other than it's going to rain, we we start to uh, doubt them and not believe them. Oh, did you not enjoy the sunshine yesterday? Oh, today, glorious days. 
But how many of these unfulfilled uh, meteorologist uh, promises does it take before you just don't quite trust the weather people? The Jews, the Jews did not believe in a dead Messiah. It, it was it was absolutely incomprehensible to them. So with this, turn to John chapter 12. The Gospel of John chapter 12. We're going to be cruising all around. I don't have one particular passage for us today. We're going to look at several, many. Feel free to turn there when you hear it or, or you can hold tight and I'll be reading it. But in John chapter 12, Jesus, this is after he's entered back into Jerusalem at the beginning of, of uh, Passion Week with again what we celebrated last Sunday, Palm Sunday, and he prophesies his death. He tells about his upcoming death, and he says this in John 12, beginning in verse 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death which he was to die. Meaning, in other words, folks, he was to be crucified, right, and raised up on that cross to die. The crowd then answered, verse 34, the crowd then answered him, we have heard out of the law that the Christ is to, here's the key phrase, remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? In other words, how can you say he's going to die? We understood from the law he's to remain forever. And indeed, the people might have had something like Psalm 110 and verse 4 in mind. When David says about the future Messiah, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Or Isaiah 9, verses 6 to 7. We read this one at Christmas time, usually. It's speaking of the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the eternal father, the prince of peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. And on the throne of, a, of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Go ahead and turn uh, to the right there to Acts chapter 13. Don't have to go too far there from John. Acts 13. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul. And his traveling companion speaking in the synagogue on the Sabbath in Pisidian Antioch. And he says this in verse 32. Acts 13 verse 32. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. Meaning the the previous fathers, the Old Testament fathers. That God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That's God the Father speaking to the Son. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, because that's what bodies do, right? They just decay in the ground. He has spoken in this way. Now he's quoting Isaiah 55, 3. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, that would be Psalm 1610, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. That's meaning the Father. The Father will not allow the Holy One, the Messiah, to lay dead in the grave and his body decay. 
Verse 36, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. There's that death again. David died and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Because indeed he raised from the dead. God promised through the prophets, friends, that there would be a Messiah and that this Messiah would live forever. And of course, the Messiah is Jesus. Furthermore, we see even in, in Daniel chapter 7, don't turn there, uh, but along, along with this everlasting kingdom that the Messiah Jesus would reign over, God also promised that Christians, believers in Jesus, would also receive and possess the kingdom forever, ruling and reigning with Christ. The fact is, is he couldn't have done all this if he was dead in the grave. It just couldn't have happened. In fact, if Jesus stayed in the grave, then God would actually be a liar. Because he would not have fulfilled his promises of an eternal Messiah. And therefore, he wouldn't really be God because one of God's attributes, his characteristics, is that, of course, he cannot lie. As we already studied back in Titus chapter 1 verse 2. In the hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised long ages ago. Secondly, Jesus had to live to prove he was God. He had to live to prove he was God. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, it, this has Paul speaking of God's son, Christ Jesus, quote, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This word declared there is an interesting word. It's, uh, it's the Greek word horizo, which is where we get the English word horizon from, Right? And it means to mark out or determine definitely, right? We look at the horizon, we mark out, we can see definitely the earth, where the earth is, where the sky is. And of course, there are all kinds of acknowledgments that mark out or determine Jesus to be the divine son of God, which is to say that Jesus is fully God. For instance, there's Matthew 4, 17 and 17, 5, in which God the Father declares Jesus to be his son with whom he is pleased. In Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And John testified in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word what? Was God. Jesus said in John 10 and verse 30. I and the father are one. In Luke twenty two seventy, The Jewish council asked. Are you the son of God then? And he Jesus said to them. Yes I am. And speaking of Christ in Colossians 2 and verse 9. Paul declares. For in him Jesus all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And of course, there's all the miracles. The miracles demonstrating Jesus' authority over nature and demons and healing. But you might say that resurrecting people from the dead basically sealed the deal. For only the power of God could raise someone from the dead, including Jesus, 
Why? Because as maker and creator of the universe, including all of us as people, it is God and God alone who holds the power of life and death in his hands. In Deuteronomy 32 and verse 39, Moses is relaying God's words to the people. He says, see now that I, I am he and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. And so friends, if there is any doubt left in anyone's minds about whether or not this man, Jesus, was truly God, the resurrection just absolutely 100% proves it. Here's another interesting tidbit. None of the other major world religions claim to have a leader who has come back from the dead. Only Christianity. Now, why is it so important to believe this? Why is it so important to believe, know, understand that Jesus is God? Because it's only God who can forgive sins, friends. It's only God who can give us life. And that has to come because of forgiveness of sins. You might remember that, that great Bible story. This is one of my favorite stories as a kid, right? When um, the friends of the paralytic man take him up to the rooftop. They dig through the roof, right? They lower their friend down on the mat. Drop him there right in front of Jesus. And Jesus says to the paralytic lying there on the mat. All kinds of people are around. Jesus has been healing and preaching and teaching. And he says, son... Your sins are forgiven you. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them. Why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up, immediately picked up the pallet. And went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and glorifying God saying, we have never seen anything like this. So Jesus had to live to prove that he was God. And that he indeed has forgiveness of sins. That that we can have forgiveness of sins. Because only God forgives sins. And we know he's God because he lives. And here's the deal folks. And you need to be so crystal clear on this. You need to be absolutely clear. As to who you believe Jesus to be. This is of utmost importance for you here this morning to ask yourself this question. Do you believe that he is the son of God 
able to forgive sins and guarantee your eternal life. As he raised from the dead, do you believe that you can be raised from the dead? In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis challenges his readers that they must come to one of three conclusions about who Jesus is. He writes, quote, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says that he is a poached egg. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. Oh, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any, any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. End quote. So who do you believe Jesus to be? You have to know in your heart of hearts who he is. You have to pick one. You'd have to pick one of those three. Thirdly, Jesus had to live to justify us. He had to live to justify us. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans 4 and verse 23. Romans 4 and verse 23. This is that great section where the Apostle Paul addresses justification by faith. Using Abraham, Father Abraham, as an example of someone who believed by faith. And it was credited to Abraham as righteousness his salvation and all of god's promises were granted to him by god not because of any good works that abraham did because he was a great person but rather abraham simply believed by faith and in romans 4 beginning in verse 23 paul writes this now not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him meaning to, to abraham Verse 24, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions, that is to say our sins, and was raised because of our justification. Now, what is justification? It's actually a legal term. It's a legal term, whereas once someone's legal debt has been paid, that debt is completely and fully absolved in the eyes of God. And what's more, not only is the guilty party fully forgiven of their debt, but they are actually declared innocent, completely righteous, 100% in their standing with God. Now, how does this relate to the resurrection of Jesus? Uh, if Christ hadn't raised from the dead, what would we have put our faith in? Where would our faith be? 
Because the next verse in Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we would say faith in what? I mean, a man who had supposedly forgiven our sins but was dead in the grave? I mean, how would we know? How would we know if forgiveness and justification had been accomplished if Jesus stayed dead? And what's the point of forgiveness and being justified if we thought that we would just die and then life would cease to exist? What good is that? It's all wrapped up, friends, in Jesus' resurrection. Because if he didn't resurrect, then what proof would we have of forgiveness of sins and eternal life? We would have none. No proof. No hope. If Jesus didn't have eternal life, then what hope would there be for us? And again, there would be none. Imagine if I, uh, if I told you that um, at the end of the summer... I was going to give each of you a million dollars. Okay? So come on back, end of summer, and uh, get your million dollars. But just to, just to prove that I'm, that I'm good for it, um, I'm going to give you half of it by July 4th. Right? So, so come back July 4th, I'll give you half, and you get the other half at the end. But see, you come back at July 4th, July 4th rolls around, and uh, <laughs> I didn't have any of it. Yeah, you, you came, and I, I offered you nothing, zilch, zero. Now, you probably wouldn't have much faith that you were going to get it by the end of the summer, right? If I didn't even give it to you halfway through what I had promised. In fact, you would have, you would have zero, zero faith because all you received was an empty promise. But if I actually gave you that half, then it'd be like, kind of like a down payment. You'd be like, oh yeah, well, this is sweet. I'm sure pastor's good for it. I'll be back at the end of summer. Likewise, if we didn't have some assurance, some assurance of our eternal life in the future, faith would be absolutely meaningless. Because we would say, well, what is it that we have faith in? And the answer, nothing. If Jesus stayed dead in the grave. But thanks be to God that Jesus did justify us by his resurrection, which guarantees our future resurrection now now just to be clear just to be clear we are in debt to god because of our sin the payment of which is death jesus paid the price and then his resurrection demonstrates god's acceptance of that payment and we who receive that free gift of jesus's payment by faith are not only fully absolved of the debt but have a completely righteous standing with God from that point on into eternity. It doesn't mean we won't still sin, but God will not count any sin against us ever again. Romans 8 and verse 1 tells us, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Number four, Jesus had to live to give us new life. He absolutely had to resurrect in order to give us new life. And of course, we know that after having made purification for sins, 
And then walking the earth for those 40 days after his resurrection, he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of who? His father, right? And he currently sits there ruling and reigning with the father and making intercession for us as our high priest. He's our mediator, our go-between between us and the father, the mediator of a better covenant with better promises, and in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, in verse 20, Paul tells us that God, quote, raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians, so just a little bit to the right if you were still in uh, Romans there. You don't have to go too far. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 20 and 21. Paul, in uh, these epistles of like uh, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, it's great because he kind of splits them in half where the first part of his letter is all just about great doctrine of Christ. And then the, the latter couple of chapters here is how we put those great doctrinal truths into practice. And he says this in Philippians 3, beginning in verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven. From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. And what this is saying to us, friends, is that as believers, though we currently live on this earth, we are actually citizens of heaven. Heaven is our homeland. And while we are here on this earth, we are to keep our, our hearts and our minds focused on what's to come. The completion of our salvation, which is to say our glorification. Just as Christ raised from the dead, so he will raise all of us from the dead. As Jesus was raised glorified, so we will be raised glorified Romans 8 and verse 23 tells us that that we groan within ourselves waiting eagerly for the redemption of our body don't we though I mean I don't know about you but I you know 54 and I'm starting to feel the effects the body breaking down not being able to do all those things you wish you could do I scare my wife if I go out on the trampoline now with the kids Turn again to 1 Corinthians 15. Just uh, go back to the left a little bit there. Not far. This is the, the whole 1 Corinthians 15 is kind of like the resurrection passage. It just tells us great truths about what we have to look forward to in regard to our resurrection. And I want you just to, to see a bit more of this. In 1 Corinthians in 15, beginning in verse 20. Beginning in verse 20. Paul says this, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep, those who are dead, meaning he raised first and those who are dead will also raise. Verse 21, for since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, after that, those who are Christ at his coming, right? So when he 
returns. In fact, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, we went through this, whatever it was, a year or so ago. Uh, in verses 16 to 17, it tells us, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Those that are living at that time, those that have died in Christ will all be caught up to be with the Lord. It's all predicated on his resurrection. No resurrection, no Jesus in heaven, no Jesus coming back. Look down at verse 50. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, now verse 50. Paul says, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. When Paul says mystery, it just means a new truth that they haven't uh, previously been, been told. He says, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, meaning we will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Skip down to verse 54. Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. What a Savior. Friends, this could only happen because Jesus raised from the dead. And as I said at the beginning, Jesus Christ's literal And bodily resurrection from the dead assures us without the shadow of a doubt that these scriptures are true. And that we will also be given a glorified body, perfect body at his return. A body that's not going to wear out. A body that that can go and bounce on the trampoline for eternity and never have a problem. And when our bodies are raised from the dead, we will experience complete victory over death that came as a result of that original sin through Adam. And then, of course, our personal sin that each and every one of us has committed. And then and only then will our redemption, our salvation be complete. Fifthly, Jesus lived to return and guarantee a final judgment. He lived to return and guarantee a final judgment. Some of you might think, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Time out there, Pastor. You know, because Jesus said in John 12 and verse 47, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He doesn't judge us, so we shouldn't judge others. Yes, he didn't judge in his first advent, right? The first time around. His return will be much different. But a return, again, indicates that something had to happen in order for him to return after he died and to return later on. And that is indeed, again, his resurrection. He must have had life after death. 
in John chapter 5, this is Jesus speaking to uh, those Jews at the time that, that wanted him dead. They wished to kill him. And he said this to them, For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him, meaning the Son, authority to execute judgment. Because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. That's very interesting. I wish we had more time to talk about that because there's actually everybody will be resurrected. Some will be resurrected unto eternal life and some will be resurrected unto eternal judgment and punishment. In Acts 17 and verses 30 and 31, it says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man. That would be capital M, Jesus, whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. In other words, God has overlooked man's sin. And unwillingness to acknowledge him as God and his son as their their creator and their savior. Secondly, God's patience is not going to last forever. Therefore, God is calling everyone to repent of their sin, to turn away from their sin and turn to God through his son, Jesus to trust in Jesus Christ as their savior. Thirdly, once the resurrected Jesus returns, it'll be too late. It will be too late because it will no longer be salvation day. Instead, friends, it will be judgment day. And the proof of all of this is the fact that God did raise Jesus from the dead. In Revelation 19, verses 11 to 13 The Apostle John writes, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And his eyes are, uh, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. This is his return, his second coming. Verse 12, his eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. But friends, any day before this happens... Before this glorious return, any day before that is salvation day. It can be the day of your salvation. Friends, do not let Satan or the world or your own wicked hearts lull you into a false sense of comfort and ease in this world. I mean, maybe things are going well for you in your life. You know, maybe maybe you're retired and all is good and you're enjoying life and you're enjoying your grandkids and you're doing the things you've always wanted to do. And you're you're just kind of pushing God aside thinking, yeah, yeah, you know, I'll get to him someday. 
Maybe someday. I mean, seriously, what do I need him right now for? I got everything I want. Everything's going just the way I planned. Maybe you're in the middle of your life. And you're busy, 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 busy. Job, career, raising a family, busy with kids and school and sports and ballet and music. And maybe you're busy trying to make money and you're trying to buy houses and you're trying to buy cars and you're trying to get some big screen TVs and all the rooms and you like the name brand stuff and you like to travel and just everything. And you're just frankly too busy for God. Maybe you'll get to him. You know, when things calm down a little bit and kids have moved out of the house and that kind of thing. Maybe you're in school. There's just so much going on around you. Each day is new and exciting and there's so much to do and so much to learn and, and experience. And, oh, you have relationships to pursue and friends to hang out with and sports to play and clubs to go to and homework to do and movies to watch. Social media to follow, iPods to listen to, malls to hang out in. Phones, iPods, date myself again, huh? I try so hard iPhones. Change that. And your list goes on. Your list goes on and on. I gotta get this out of my pocket now before I pierce myself. And you want to do it all. You want to do it all to our young people. And oh yeah, there's God. Well, frankly, God's just boring. It's just boring. And yet tonight, friends... Any one of us, our life might be required of us. And if it is, you will quickly realize as you stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the righteous judge that absolutely none of this stuff matters. And you'll instead think to yourself, why didn't I make time for God? And why didn't I why didn't I take a, just a closer look at this Jesus person and 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 why didn't I repent of my sins and go ahead and believe in him and 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 you start to speak to him and you you're going to try and explain and to apologize and to just ask for for one more one more chance because now you do want to repent now you do believe and you're cut off. It's too late. As you hear these last words that you will ever hear from the judge of the living and the dead, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Friends, this doesn't have to be you. This doesn't have to be you. And so this glorious Sunday, this this resurrection day, I beg of you, I plead with you because Jesus died for you and he resurrected for you and now he waits for you. Please, won't you receive the free gift of forgiveness of sins and eternal life from the God who created you and the God who loves you. The God who loves you. Lastly, and this will be a quick one. Jesus lived to return and guarantees a final future. 
Jesus lived to return and guarantee a final future. In John 17 and verse 3, Jesus says this in praying to the Father. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Friends, again, the truth is, is you can't know Jesus and you can't live with him eternally if he's dead. And this is the whole point of eternal life right here in this verse. It's the whole point of eternal life. It's the whole point of the new heavens and the new earth that await us. Not just that we will be alive forevermore or that we're going to be in this heavenly kingdom and that we're going to get to explore new worlds and boldly go where no man has gone before. It's not that we'll get to live or be about living in a mansion or eating just the choicest food from God's table or even that there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. All of those things are true, but it's all about what comes right before that verse when it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, the first earth, passed away, there's no longer any sea, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Did you get that? The whole point of eternal life is that we get to be with our creator and our savior for all eternity. That's eternal life. That's what it's all about. And I again implore you, amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah, what a Savior, to put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus right here, right now. He resurrected from the grave. And because He lives, we too can live. Oh, praise His name. I'm going to pray here and we're going to have one more song that we'll have the choir sing and we'll get to sing along too. And um, if, if this is you and you need to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it, you, I'm not calling you forward or even asking you to raise your hand or do anything special other than just pray. Just pray in your own heart of hearts and talk to the Lord yourself and confess your sin before him and, and acknowledge his son Jesus as your savior, as the Lord of your life and that you desire to repent of your sins and follow him. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for these tremendous truths from your word. All of these great truths as to why your son had to live. And we are so eternally thankful that he does live. That he conquered sin and death. That he raised victoriously from the dead. That he sits at your right hand and that he's coming again, Lord. And I pray for anyone here this morning, if they need to know Christ as their Savior, that they would repent of their sins and trust him. Trust his work on the cross on their behalf. Lord, we give you all praise and honor 
and glory. These are yours forever and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.